What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Opportunity Day podcast, episode number 25. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, if you are a new time viewer to this podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. That way you get episodes like this uploaded right to your phone right away. Um, I've got a fire guest on today, and I'm excited to unleash him on you today. He actually was, I think, the second or maybe third guest on Millennial Stories. Top five. I don't know. Top five? <laughs> you were definitely in top five. In well, sequence, not in quality, right? So. Well, quality. I think viewership, you were actually like, I think you might have been the most viewed podcast we've wow. ever had. I'd this is Alexander V. Johnson, one of my good buddies from high school. Um, we didn't go to high school together. We played club soccer together back in the day. Um, mega entrepreneur. Um, how old are you, Alex? I am 27. 27. How many businesses do you own? Uh, three legit businesses, but a handful of corporations in between there to like hold on to assets and such. But three is the real number. Wow. 27, three businesses and some other stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I actually owned and operated a company when I was in college. So I've been a part of, you know, three, four plus businesses while I've been at it. And yeah, I had the fortune of having a lot of experiences in that period of time. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on today, man, because, um, well, we've been buddies for a while, and you've been an inspiration to me as far as entrepreneurship goes, and as far as just really not even, I don't even call myself an entrepreneur anymore. Uh, I, like, I'm just somebody that is, like, trying to make a living, mm-hmm. and trying to do what I love to do, do what I feel as if I'm good at, um, and it just so happens that I have to own a business in, in order to, in order to really do that thing, so... Um, but you've been a, a super inspiration watching you and watching you and see what you've done over the course of the last couple of years um, since college, really even in college um, till now where you've come. I mean, it's pretty impressive. And I know you're not like, a, um, you know, one to brag upon yourself about what you've accomplished, but it's pretty impressive. So um, for those of you that don't know you, for for the people that have listened to your podcast before, this will be a refresher. But let's just, if you could, please tell everybody what you do currently and, um, and kind of an update from, it really was about a year ago when we got yeah, together. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So an update for the last year. Yeah, so I'm, as Sam stated, a business owner, and I think the term entrepreneur gets a bad rap nowadays. You know, people think, oh, he's an entrepreneur. What does that mean? You know, what is what kind of strange business venture is he into? What's he selling? What kind of scheme is he on? But um, I own and operate an online sales company called Mix Solutions. Um, we were very fortunate that uh, last year we were named the fastest growing company in Columbus by Columbus Business First. Actually, we're in this hotel. I don't think, Really? Yeah. Oh, by the way, we're in the Hilton Downtown Columbus Hotel. Very nice, pretty hotel. So if you hear background noise or um, music, little ambiance for when you listen. That's right. All right, just deal with it. I don't know what else to tell you, Yeah, but go ahead. Uh, we were right here in this hotel, actually. It was actually pretty cool because they counted companies down from 50, 50, 49, 48, 47, all the way down to number one. And we were sitting there like we, we actually knew beforehand, but the people around us who were there with us, like they didn't know. Huh. So we got to number three, and they're like, oh, my gosh, Alex. They got to two. They're like, oh, are they, are, what are, you, are they going to win? And they called another company for number two. So I was like, okay. People are just turning us like, what the heck? Who are these guys? You know, fastest growing, fastest growing. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Company in in the fastest growing privately held companies in the greater Columbus area. And how do they judge that? So is that just based on revenue? Yeah. So it's based on revenue growth year over year. So they have a methodology, but it's something like two years ago, revenue minus your current year revenue divided by two will equate you. Um, Our percentage was 600 plus percent, which... (laughs) Yeah, it was actually pretty cool because... Um, and it's not like you weren't doing uh, like $1,000. Right. You know, you, you, you were have doing to, a decent You have amount. to average at least a million dollars in revenue over the last three years. Mm. So that's how they weed out companies. It's like, I went from 10000 to 200000 Oh my gosh, you know, they're 20X. Like that's how they kind of weed that out. Right. And on the uh, newspaper magazine cover is actually pretty cool because they had this cool little graphic. It was like a spiral shell and it was showing like all the company's percentages and ours was like 400% higher than number two. So ours was like shooting off of the page. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. How yeah. does that feel? Like, how, how did that feel? I don't know if that was a goal of yours, you know, but like, how did that feel to be like, wow, I have the fastest growing legitimate business 
in the state of Ohio or central Ohio? In the greater, it's Columbus oh, okay. business first. So it's like like our greater eight, ten counties or something like that. How but obviously, that you know, we're the, we're the hub of, yeah. you know, Ohio here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. How did it feel? I mean, it was surreal. Um, you know, but also it was an opportunity to look back because that's a, that's from the start of our company, you know, everything we've done really. You know, we're going on year five now of our company, which, which is crazy to say because it feels like it's gone so quickly. But it's really a culmination of every little piece and part that has happened throughout there that led to that. And it was actually funny because at the event, you know, we were there with some like really large companies, you know, companies doing 60, 80, 100 million dollars in revenue. Some big known companies, you know, BB Bop was on the list. Everyone knows mm. them if the greater Columbus area, if you're listening, great food. Was that, um, that's the Asian Chipotle, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. They were like five or something like okay. that. Um, there was some enormous, you know, um, construction and real estate development companies. There's a really, really large technology company that's like pushing towards a hundred million dollars in revenue. And then we get up there and people are like, who are these guys? You know, <laughs> cause we kind of always operated in the shadows. Like mm-hmm. that's always been our thing is like, you know, you don't need to talk too loud. You know, a quote that I really, really love is that, you know, we're not concerned with who's on the front page of the paper because we're the ones printing it. So it's like, we're just doing our thing. We're, we're making what we know needs to happen, happen. And yeah, you know, it, it culminates in situations like that, which is great, cool, and, you know, an honor to be able to be mentioned with such great companies. Yeah. yeah. So. I'm sure it was like kind of a, a humbling experience. Like, wow, I'm around like some incredibly well-known businesses and companies like Bibby Bop, yeah. you know, and here I am being recognized like as number one you know, and as far as fastest growing, mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be incredibly humbling. And I've been to your warehouse. We've shipped out a bunch of books the yeah. other day. By the way, um, shameless plug. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. You, uh, I just wrote a book called Maximize How to Make Every Day Your Masterpiece. Um, if you want an autographed, personalized autographed signed copy of this book, please shoot me a message on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, anything, um, and I'll get you a signed copy. They're $15, uh, or you can just go on to Amazon and get the book. It's all about how to make every day your masterpiece, how to maximize your day. But we shipped out a bunch of these books, and I saw your warehouse, and what's cool is that, like, there isn't anything fancy about it. It's just like, I mean, you just you and I there, but mm-hmm. it was like... I could just see like four or five guys just coming in and working hard all day and in the shadows, like you said, and here you have 600% growth. Yeah. What's the key to that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was saying this to you before we got on the podcast, but you know, my desk isn't that nice. You know, the chairs that we sit in aren't that nice. You know, the tables that we use to ship out, like they're not $5,000 tables. You know, we're in this hotel, beautiful hotel. I mean, how much do you think one of these chairs costs? $400 each, $500 each. And companies, and I think people in general, when they think of wealth and they think of like opulence, that's kind of what they think of beautiful furniture, beautiful rugs, things like that. But that's actually like farther from the truth of how you get there. Like mm. you have to pay your dues for long, long periods of time. Because I know for a fact every dollar that I spend on a desk is something that's taking away from me going out and marketing my services, selling what I have in my business. Um, the profitability that I can invest back into new employees, things like that. So, you know, I would say from a finance aspect, you know, we're, we're relatively conservative. I'm relatively conservative. And that's what I've told you before. You know, I have all these entrepreneurs come to me and they say, how do I start a business? How do I start a business? And I say, $1,000. Like, take your $1,000, turn it into $2,000. If you don't think you have the capability to do that, you might not be cut out to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Because that's totally what being an entrepreneur is. It's like, how do I take one thousand bucks, turn it into two thousand, take that two thousand, turn it into four thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've we've done everything. You know, we don't have debt in our company because when we started, we kicked in a thousand bucks. We bought product, we sold it, we bought more. Everything has kind of grown upon itself. Um, and we've always stayed lean because you know I know where we came from. We were packing orders in a basement in two thousand fourteen. So, like, I don't need a fancy office. Yeah. Uh, and that fancy office ain't going to make me any more productive. Right. You know? If anything, it's going to make me feel weird and be like, ah, geez, I don't, why do we spend it on this? Yeah. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody. Um, I'm a rock climber. And they went and visited uh, 
the headquarters of this incredibly large like climbing company. And they said the owner got there, he pulled up in a Lamborghini, and his building was built so that the Lamborghini could drive up to the front of the building, and it was like a 10-story building. There was an elevator that would raise his car up to the 10th floor, <laughs> no and it would way. turn it around and back the Lamborghini into his office. <laughs> That's Which crazy. I was like, that's incredibly cool. That's baller. <laughs> but you would never, ever see me doing that. I don't right. care how much money I have. Like, that's ridiculous to me, yeah. you know? And, you know, as we start to talk about you know, some of the personal finance things, I can go through some numbers and say, like, okay, well, if you wanted that, here's what you would have to have in right. income for me to be able to say, like, yeah, you can justify that. Right. Um, so I think just being conservative and always just building from the ground up, like, we don't have a huge team, you know? We didn't make our first buck and say, okay, let's hire five people. Mm -hmm. You know, we hired small, we stayed small, we all personally did everything ourselves. You know, the year that we actually won that award for was 2017, because financials are all like delayed, end of year, closed, and so So it was for the year of 2017. Yep, and it was awarded like a couple of months ago, yeah. Okay. Because they give you like six months to get your financials together and everything. So this coming year will be for the end of close of 18. And I got my other companies that mm -hmm. I'm applying for that too. Um, and in the actual 2017 year, we were in a smaller warehouse, one that didn't have a dock door. So anytime we got shipments, we literally had to walk outside, repack them into boxes, and then send them out with the postal service that same day because we couldn't get the pallets through our door. <laughs> so we were doing that like in you know Ohio, 20 degree, 30 degree weather. You know, like that's not glamorous. That's not what most people dream about when they're an entrepreneur. But for me, it's always just kind of been like, all right, roll your sleeves up. This is what you got to do. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you want it, this is what it is. And we've talked about that before, you know, like, you know, say you want to own a restaurant. Why do you want to own that restaurant? Is it because you dream of being that guy walking around in the suit, you know, greeting people at the tables and so on and so forth? Or is it because you want to be like financially independent? And what do you have to do to get there? Well, you might have to start a food truck or you might have to start a stand on the side of the street. And if your mind instantly goes to, I'm not going to start a stand. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be on the side of the street working that thing. Like, dude, You're come really on, going to do what it takes to own a restaurant? Right. Absolutely. Now, if, you know, you somehow could come up with two or 300,000 and throw it into it and you have legitimate business experience previous to that, I say, all right, but... That would never, ever be the way that I right. tell someone to go about it. Because there's so much you don't know about actually running a business mm -hmm. if it's your first company. You know, there's so many foolish mistakes that we made. Yeah. And we were still fortunate enough to be able to not make the big mistakes and get to where we are. But, yeah. you know, if I was to throw in two or $300,000 on a restaurant, like, I'd be in way over my head right away. You yeah. know? So if you had never run a business, you know. Why not prove the concept? Why not for sure. do the stand? improve the concept and that's what I was talking to um, I was talking usually when I do when I talk to college students um, and you know I'll ask him hey he wants to own a business one day and you know they raise their hand and I was you know well what I tell them is I said I'm coming in to speak and you probably are expecting somebody in a suit I'm an entrepreneur I'm a, I'm a business I own my own business like Running your own business isn't this flashy wear a suit thing, and it's not like um, drive a nice car thing. Like it is like ten o'clock at night answering emails. Yeah, it is waking up early and responding to emails. It's like the grind of like, and I don't really like the word grind, but like it's just like it's very unflashy. Yes. Like that's what it takes to run a business, but there's this misconception, I think, because of social media, For sure. of what it takes or what it looks like to actually run a business. It's not super flashy. It's not like I've I don't ever wear a suit, and maybe that's just what I do. But like, I'm in like, I'm in what what are we wearing right now? We're in freaking pant uh, jeans and jeans and a long sleeve. That's yeah, it. Yeah, like know. and tonight at ten o'clock, I'm probably gonna be doing stuff on my computer down in my living room. Like, that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I think that some people um, have that misconception that's going to be this flashy thing. It's going to, like, it may get to flashy one day, yeah. but, like, it's going to start, you know, hopefully. You know, if you've heard the story of, have you seen the, the Netflix um, documentary about Fire Festival? I have not watched it. I, I know about it. Um, while I was in college, I actually ran an entertainment company. 
So I have like anxiety about this for some reason. And I'm just like mentally deciding I don't want to watch this thing. <laughs> like, I don't know. People have told me enough about it that I'm just like, I don't want to watch this. That gives me, that makes me. That's kind of queasy. Kind of where I'm getting is like the guy didn't make it, yeah. you know, because he was just borrowing everybody's money and he had, you know, he was banking off. And I'm not saying like there's other ways. I, I don't know everything about business. I certainly know. I know like 0.01%. Um, so that's why I have people like you, um, that I get on the podcast so I can learn. And we were talking, um, recently when we got together and you were talking about a new project that you have, um, that you're working on, um, in regards to finance, personal finance, small business finance. I'm not exa sure exactly, but I wanted yeah. to bring you on and talk to you about that because there's some things that you figured out financially, um, uh, that have really helped you both in your business and personally, I believe. Yeah. And um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm kind of in the conceptual phases and uh, early writing of putting together a personal finance book. Um, and I think what I hope to do is parlay that into probably like online content. Um, I think almost some of the stuff you just have to see, you have to see how the numbers flow. So yeah, you can read it in a book, but like it's only gonna get you so far. Um, and yeah, when I started in on my companies, you know, I was not necessarily the finance guy. I was kind of like the idea guy. Mm, okay. But just from necessity, like we needed someone in the company to do it. And you know, we we're gonna do what what you got to do. You got to bootstrap. You know, we're not gonna yeah. hire someone to run our finances for us. And I think this is probably a, a symptom of a lot of entrepreneurs is that you don't really want other people doing things you feel like you could do which is dangerous, but also at the same time, it helps you learn all aspects of what needs to happen in your company. Like you, you know, are you gonna pay someone for the next 10 years to do your audio engineering? Like, no, I, I can learn some of this myself and do it. Um, so I kind of got into doing the, the finance side of things for my companies, and as I got more and more experience with that, I kind of took that and applied that to my personal finances. Because I think I'm a prototypical story of a college kid who did not get a good enough personal finance lesson, whether it was in childhood, whether it was in high school, or whether it was during my time at college. Did this reduce, did this, not reduce, did this result in some mistakes that you oh, yeah. made that yeah. has now propelled you to learn? Absolutely. So tell yeah. us about some, of, tell me about some of the mistakes. Yeah, so I mean, you know, um, I didn't know anything about credit score when I was 22 years old. So I graduated from college and you know, I'm, I'm riding pretty high. I think I'm a big shot. Like, you know, I had a successful company in college. I was working on starting another company. Um, you know, I graduated with honors in school and one of my professors, my advisor and one of the head entrepreneurship professors at my university looked me in the eyes and he told me, Alex, you're going to be the first millionaire out of your class. And I was like, God dang right. I am, you know, <laughs> I'm riding hot, you know, I'm thinking I got this. Yeah. Um, I didn't know a thing about like personal finance. I didn't know what my credit score was. And eventually, you know, I, I'm kind of in a situation where I gotta check my credit score because I need to get a loan to get a car. Because I actually had a car accident right before I graduated from, high, uh, from college. Didn't have a vehicle like right when I graduated. So I'm like, okay, I need to buy a car. It's time to join the real world, you know, big boy yeah. purchase. Didn't have any idea what my credit score was. Didn't have any idea how to build a credit score. Um, so I checked my credit score. It's like 500, like really, Ooh. really low. Yeah. Um, I, I ended up like figuring out I had a couple things in collections from medical bills that I had gotten while I was at Ashland University. They didn't send them to me. They sent them to a different address, you know, no excuses. Yeah. Like it's on me, but, um, it was just a weird set of circumstances. So, you know, that was kind of like, I don't want to call it a wake up call, but it, it was kind of the glaring reality. I think of a lot of people that even if you think you understand a lot about finance, which I thought that I did, I knew how to write a business plan to raise capital. You know, I knew how to pitch investors. Um, I knew how to read a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement and things like that. All stuff that I learned while I was studying business in college. But I didn't know that it didn't matter if I could do any of those things. I wasn't getting a loan until my credit score went up, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's like kind of a prime example for me. Like, whoa, if someone like myself a relatively versed entrepreneur, a person who threw a lot of his effort and energy into business, um, didn't know anything about like the personal side of things. Like how could someone who's just a regular guy working a construction job, a gal who's a nurse, 
a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, how could those people benefit from some of the same things that I had to go through and the mistakes that I had to make? And one of the things that I really saw is that business finance and personal finance paralleled each other really mm-hmm. closely. And the, the principles or how you run your finances? Both of the things, okay. yeah. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, what's the point of a business? Yes, to help people, to accomplish things, but businesses want to make money. I it's mean, to make money. If you look at the S&P 500, those companies are trying to make money. And Because if, every if you day, don't make money, guess what you don't have? All right. You, 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 you don't have a business. You don't have a business. You don't have a livelihood. And everybody wants to feed their family, feed themselves, and yeah, have nice things, you know? So businesses are all about making money. And what I find interesting is that every single person you have ever met, they are all working as hard as they can to make money. They work 40 hours a week, sometimes 50 hours, sometimes 60 hours a week to make money. But nobody dedicates an hour to financial learning, like a week. So I might make, you know, $20 $20 an hour for 40 hours a week and have all this cash, but I have no idea what to do with it. And then you end up just squandering it or not investing it in the right areas, not investing at all, not understanding how debt works, not understanding you know, how mortgages work, how interest works. So you're talking about, um, you know, if you make a thousand bucks a week, how do you keep some of that versus spend it all or even spend more than what you make. Absolutely. Because most people spend 1.0 or 1.02% of their income. Yeah. Well, the average no, 102%. Yeah. If that, if that's how that works. The average American um, can't afford an unexpected $500 expense and the average American is living paycheck to paycheck. So, riddle me this. We're supposed to be the most opulent country in the world. We have the highest GDP. We have the most wealth of any other country in the world. Yet Half of our population is living paycheck to paycheck and can't afford $500. So why is that? Why do you think that is? I think that a huge part of that is financial literacy. And I don't really like that term, you know, financial literacy. But it's just understanding of how the game is played. I use this analogy. So imagine you walk into a casino, right? They say, oh, Sam, you're here, you're 18, right? It's time to go to the big big card room. You're like, okay, sweet. You walk in, there's tons of people. They're all sitting down and they're playing this card game. You know, they say, all right, Sam, it's your time to, to play. They give you a couple of chips. You sit down, you start playing. You don't understand at all how this game works, but you, you know you gotta play, right? Like, this is the game. I have to play the game. There's some people with huge stacks over here. There's some people with stacks that are in the middle. There's some people with not really much. And you're just trying to figure everything out as you go. Well, well, why not take a couple of seconds and figure out the rules to this game? You're going to have to play it for the rest of your life. If you learn up front what the rules are, what do you think the odds are that you're going to win? A lot higher. But yet, some people never, ever take the time to stop, pause, say, hey, I'm not going to play a couple of hands. Let me figure out how this game works. Let me watch. Let me read about it. Let me focus a little bit so that now I have the strategy and I can take it and I can go forward with it. So many people never ever stop to learn the rules. They just say, well, hey, what I was doing was working. I'm going to keep going at that way. And it's like, well, maybe that's not the strategy. Maybe that's actually, you know, against the rules. A lot of people make, you know, financial mistakes that are illegal or, you know, wind up in jail off of not paying taxes. Tons of celebrities have had issues with their taxes. Um, I think a lot of people people are afraid to look, afraid to learn about it because they're afraid to figure out how far behind they are. Absolutely. Like they're like, man, if I look at this, I'm going to realize how much time I've wasted or realize how much money I've wasted or how we realize, you know, how far behind I am. And so they just, they let that mound up to where, you know, like it is overwhelming. Yeah. Well, I use the example with you that it's almost like, you know, oh, I've got, you know, I'm feeling this lump, you know, it may be in my chest or something like that. And I think it might be cancerous, but I'm too nervous to go to the doctor and find out. It's like, you understand how illogical that is, right? Like, yeah. If it's an issue, don't you want to go see if you can start working on it, yeah. right? Um, but people don't necessarily do that with their finances. And I do think it's a culmination of a couple of different fears. Uh, one, people have a fear of failure. Like People are incredibly scared to fail. That's why most people don't start businesses. That's why most people don't get out of their comfort zone. Uh, most people don't attempt things that they think people might find them to be embarrassing about. I ask my friends to come rock climb with me all the time. 
and time after time people were like ah, i don't know about that you know, it looks hard and i'm like i mean it is hard but so is golf like who cares you know yeah people are afraid to like look funny and like not be able to do something so that 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 fear is so crippling they don't that even vulnerability try they don't even try yeah why because they because you think somebody you've never met before is going to think oh he's not like athletic enough or whatever like who cares you know <laughs> right that doesn't phase me but i know that does phase a lot of people that's not to say i'm not you know afraid to do things that make you know me a little bit uncomfortable but i think that over time and the confidence i've built in myself through business has allowed me to say like all right well let's just go for it yeah um I think that fear of failure is also attached to fear of things that people don't understand. I think there's a very clear uh, fear of things that people find confusing mm. and okay. things that they don't uh, have a grasp of. So we see this a lot with my construction company where homeowners, because they don't understand the insurance process, they'll get really frustrated, then they'll get mad at us. And it's like, you're not mad at me. I know that you're not mad at me. You're just confused. And because you're confused, now you're frustrated, now you're getting angry, you know. Now maybe you even think that I'm trying to scam you, and it's like, let's slow down. Like, yeah. let me explain this to you kind of thing. Uh, and then, you know, I think as you said, people are, are afraid to be behind. And that's afraid to never retire, you know, afraid to be 65 and working. Like, that's a, that's a very uh, real possibility for a lot of people in the United States based on those statistics where half the people are living paycheck to paycheck, those people will never be able to retire. Mm -hmm. Like what do we expect to happen? And what's fearful about that is your healthcare costs are only going to increase as you get older. So as your wages stay stagnant or they increase only slightly, you know, your healthcare costs in your 65, 75, 85 are going to be incredibly high. Well, social security won't even be around when we, when we get to retirement. Yeah. Like, it's not even going to be there, you know? And that's the retirement plan that a lot of people are, you know, um, banking on, you know, older people, which they will have that. But um, so what do you, so what do you recommend and what's something, give us something that um, you've done in your personal finance or you figured out that has helped you get ahead financially, um, you know, as a 27 year old, what's something that has helped you? What's a principle that you can, that you can share? Yeah, for sure. Um, well for me, I think that I know what I'm good at and I know what I will and won't do. And I think that's important for everybody. Have you ever heard of like counting your macros with diets? I tried that for like three days. It's where you count exactly how many carbs you eat, how many grams of protein you eat and how many grams of fat you eat. So it's like, okay, I need 100 grams of protein today, 80 grams of fat, and then 220 grams of carbs. I did that for like three days, and I was like, dude, I can't do this. Like, this is too much work. I have to weigh foods out. I have to pump everything into an app. Like, it was crazy. Um, There are some people who can do that, though. Like, we had an intern who did it, and he loved it, and he was ripped, and it worked for him. But I think that most people won't ever be able to do that thing. And I liken that very specifically to a budget because I think it is the exact same thing. I think most people are not meticulous enough and they're just not wired to follow along a budget. You know, mm. you don't say, okay, it's Thursday, you know, which means that it's the 11th day of the month. That means I should be 11 out of 30th through my allocation for food. This, should I go get groceries today or no? How much can I spend on my groceries? I just, I just don't think that that works. Mm-hmm. And I think that unfortunately, Finance goes against many, you know, innate principles that people have within themselves. Like what? Just consumption. I mean, just people say, well, yeah, I can afford this beer. Yeah, you can afford it now, but you can't afford it when your rent comes due kind of thing. Uh, Um, You know, and and also people just don't want to watch something every single second of the day. Yeah. I'm a business owner. I log into my bank account every single day. It's the first thing I do when I walk into the door. Log into my bank account. I log into our PayPal. I log into our credit card. I log into our Amazon accounts. I look at all those things. Most human beings are not going to do that. They're not going to wake up and look at their bank account. They're not going to check, you know, what, what expenses are coming up in these many days. Um, you know, they're gonna, not going to take that and subtract out what they need for food. Like, it's just not realistic. So what I would suggest everyone does is set up everything on percentages. So 
essentially how I would advise anyone who's running their personal finance is to set up multiple different bank accounts that are all percentage based. This is exactly what I do with mine. So I get paid every two weeks for my companies. All of that comes into a hold account. And then it's divided out for my fixed expenses, my, um, my living expenses, which would be like food, my debt, my investments, my real estate, and my fund money. So I have all those, their physical bank accounts, and everything comes in, and then they're just dropped into those other accounts mm. based on percentages. It's all the same bank? Uh, yeah, I actually use Capital One. I'm okay. a huge advocate of Capital One. Okay. Like their online systems are sweet, and their 360 checking accounts have no fees for them. So let's just say you get $1,000. Yep. All right. Every two weeks or so? Okay. Um, let's, say, oh, let's just say 2000 So let's say you make 1000 bucks a week. Okay. Yep. So, uh, so we'll just say it's after taxes, but whatever. Right, so exactly. a thousand bucks a week makes it a lot easier. Yep. So you get two thousand dollars every two weeks. Mm -hmm. That two thousand dollars comes in, and you immediately comes into that bank account, and then a percentage goes into those five or six different accounts. Yeah. Um, a percentage of whatever you have to allocate for rent, for living, for whatever. And then you have that money, and that's what you have for those particular things. Absolutely. So I know what everyone probably wants to hear. What are the percentages? Just tell me the percentages. I can't do that because I don't know what your rent is. I don't know how much you pay for your car insurance or your heat bill. So really what someone has to do is they have to, to download like bank statements over six months or so. I suggest a longest period of time as you possibly can because that's going to take you through like, oh, my heat bill was higher in the winter. You know, my electricity was higher in the summer, you know, things like that. Um, and then you're going to segment everything out into a fixed expense, an expense that I no matter what, I can't change this. Um, I'm, yes, you can change your heat bill a little bit, but it, that's still fixed. You have to have a heat bill. You have to have an electricity bill. You have to have rent. You have to have, you know, your internet, phone bill. Those are your fixed expenses. Those are things that are always going to hit you every single month. Then you have... Um, your living expenses. So living expenses are the things that you can, to a degree, change. How much do you spend on food? How much do you spend on eating out? Um, do you need to buy a new shirt this week? Um, are you going to go out to the bar with your friends and spend a couple bucks on beer? You know, are you going to go to an amusement park? Like that's your living money. So you would take anything you're spending on that, divide it out. Anything you're spending on fixed, divide it out, and then you're going to get percentages associated with how much of your life is tied up in those things. So let's say, like, like for me, as an example, um, my number is about 35% for those two things, with 20% going to my fixed expenses and about 15% going to my living expenses. Then I have a mortgage, so that goes to my debt. I had student loans. I was fortunate to just pay those off. So 35% goes to my debt account. That's going to pay my mortgage every month. If you don't have a mortgage, great. That's going to be more in your fixed expense, like your rent. Okay. If you have debt, though, that's going to be your percentage allocation there. And you're going to want to juice up your fixed expense account, a couple extra percentage points, because you don't want the heat bill to try to pull out of your account and be like, oh, there's insufficient funds, right? Yeah. Same thing with your debt account. Your debt account can be relatively precise, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. Then I have my three other accounts. I have investments, 10%. I have real estate investments, 10%, two different accounts. And then I have fund money, 10%. That makes up my 100%. So then what you do every week, you play the game. So every two weeks, your goal is to leave as much money in your living expense account as you possibly can, and then the day before you get paid, you transfer that out into your other expense accounts. Okay. So like, let's say you know I allocated 15%. You know I made $2,000, so that's what 300 bucks. Let's say I spent $250. The day before my paycheck comes back in, I'm gonna transfer out that remaining 50 bucks. If you have debt you on the books, where? I'm gonna just transfer it to whichever account. If you have debt, probably that's where it needs to go first. Okay. But then, like, let's say, you know, indulge yourself. Like, put a little bit into the fund money account. Put a little bit into your investment account. Put a little bit into your real estate account. Okay. Put it into debt. I would prefer you put it into debt if you have debt because that's earning, you know, interest every single day that you have more debt on your books. Right. Um, but that's the game. So, essentially, every two weeks you're trying to see how much you can leave in that living expense account. Then you know, hey, tomorrow morning I get paid living expense account is going to get filled back up. So that's really the only thing that you're playing with. You know your debt's getting paid off at at least a sufficient, if not greater than a sufficient rate. You know you have enough money for your fixed expenses. And then you know you're investing 
at least at some capacity. Now, like I personally have an investment account and a real estate account. You don't have to invest in both of those things. And your percentages probably won't be what my percentages are. Like 10% would be relatively high for most people, I would have to think. Um, and then you also must, must, must have a fun money account. Because like, what is life if you don't have a fun money account? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I would encourage everyone to like drain that fun money account at some point, you know? So for me, you know, when I hear about people having a Lamborghini with a building that lifts it up to the top floor and can automatically turn it around, my mind instantly goes to, okay, how much money would I need to have in my fun money account to justify this, right? Yeah. That construction probably was like, what, two million bucks for that? So if I have two, two million bucks in my fun money account, sure, man. You got to pay for the Lamborghini. Do it. Okay, yep. So the Lamborghinis, <laughs> don't tell me it's an investment because it's not. Uh, so, yeah, the Lamborghini came out of my... So, like, let's say I had to have, like, $2,250,000 in my fun money account, right? It's a lot of money, but, okay, how much money would I actually have to earn for me to get that much money into my fun money account? If I'm putting 10% in there, if I made $22 million a year, I could pay for it in one year. Right, so, so that's easy the to way do the that math. I think so about it. Now, now it becomes easy for people to go, okay, if I want to live at a certain level... Absolutely. Then... I need to make a certain, I, I know exactly how much money I need to make yes. and I'm still being financially responsible. I am um, paying off my debt. I am you know, paying my bills every month. And, you know, if I want to get to a certain level of living, like, hey, if I want to go take a vacation in, in the Caribbean, you know, I need $10,000 of fun money. Mm -hmm. and, and instead of paying for that on a credit card, you can just pay for it in cash. But I know I need to make a certain amount of money. You know, I need to make $100,000 this year after taxes because if I'm saving 10% in fun money, then that's 10000 Yeah. And then I can go to the Caribbean. Exactly. Interesting. Or, or you say, hey, look, my vacation will be 5000 bucks. You know, here's approximately how long I think it'll take me to save this and then do that. Maybe my fun money account won't get me to the Caribbean. Maybe it'll only get me to North Carolina. Like, mm -hmm. that's going to be awesome as well. Um, so, you know, the thing that I like about this is because is you aren't ever going to feel guilty about buying something yeah. because everything is taken care of. Like if you want to buy a Lamborghini, like if you have the money in your fun money account, I encourage it. But also don't forget about the additional expenses of insurance, of, you know, uh, the taxes on your purchase price, you know, the maintenance of that vehicle. Like don't forget about those things. Like if you can afford all those things out of the fun money account, sure, by all means do it. But if not, like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, what kind? So, you know, one of the things that I hear people say when I talk about finances is like, I just want to be able to like go to a restaurant and not be worried about it. I want to be able to go get a Chipotle burrito and not feel guilty about it. Like, I don't feel guilty about the things that I buy because I know I'm going to live within my living account. Or if it's not really a living account type expense, I want to buy some like new shoes that are like probably more than I should actually pay. I'm just like, okay, well, that's coming out of my fund money then. I have the 120 bucks in my fund money account. I can buy them and I feel zero guilt because mm. I know my debt's being paid. I know my debt's covered on my mortgage. I know that I'm investing 10% of my money into um, you know, investments. I know 10% going to my real estate. And then I know all my fixed expenses are getting covered. Yeah. So what about saving? Should there, is there a percentage that somebody should be saving every paycheck? Because I've heard anywhere from you should save 10% um, to you want to get to the point where you can save 40%. Um, and I tend to like the 40% because I'm yeah. like, wow, 40% is awesome. Yeah. You know, so what about saving like to maybe invest or just a savings account? Is there a percentage? So I didn't hear you say savings in there. So what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, so I mean, you definitely do want to have like a, a buffer type thing. Um, so for me, that would come out of a couple of different places. Um, one, I have my 401k account through my company. You can always, like this, this is your emergency fund kind of thing. Um, I can draw 50% off my 401k if an emergency happens. Um, I also, from my investment account, I won't invest that every single two weeks. I'll let it stack up and then I'll invest. So I always have that as well. And then I can draw off that investment. I can loan off my investments as well. And then I also have my real estate account, which builds up, builds up, builds up for real estate purposes. Um, but also, 
you know, you can let your living expense account fill up a little bit. I guess you don't have to transfer every single dollar out of it every two weeks. Um, because, yeah, I mean, if you look at your account and you see you have $300, you might be like, oh, gosh, this is going to be a crappy two weeks, you know? That yeah. was just our example, but you can let that fill up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that would be a big, a big thought process for everyone. Um, for me, I know where that money would come from if there is, like, an emergency. It would first come out of my uh, real estate account probably because I don't have a perspective on real estate at the moment. Uh, then it would probably come out of my investment account, then 401K account, then my other investments, things like that. I mean, well, right. first and foremost, living account, if you have the, the money for it in your living account, living yeah. expense account. Um, but you talk about saving. Um, and one of the things that is a big misconception for a lot of people is, like, the danger of investing. Um, but really what it boils down to is it's, it's dangerous not to invest because, obviously, you know, money is losing value every single year because of inflation. Mm-hmm. So if you're just leaving money in a checking account and it's – operating on 0.9% interest, you're literally losing 1.1% of your money every single year. It's the, yeah. it's like and the you're most not getting wait, 0.9%. Yeah. It's you're like the most dangerous thing you can do with your money is nothing. So, you know, so true. I like to break things down. So I think there's like four really critical things to becoming like financially independent, becoming wealthy. And, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I really do think that there's four things. So when I go out and I start to think about money, I think about, okay, how do these four things work together? First thing is making income. You know, that's what, that's pretty much the only thing that everyone knows is like making income. What kind of job do you want? I don't know, a high paying one. Yes, a job that pays you 100,000 is probably better than a job that pays you 60,000, but you're forgetting about the other three things. Second thing would be expense mitigation. So. Yes, you may have a $100,000 job and I have a $60,000 job, but if I'm putting 20% of my stuff away and you're putting 5% of your stuff away, I'm going to be the one with the big net worth, not you. Yeah. And even that $40,000 gap is completely wiped out. You know, most people are are not saving anything as we have discussed because they get that $100,000 job and then what they do is they rate they get that new car, lifestyle. They get that new apartment. Yeah. And you know why they do that? The perception. Absolutely. It drives me insane. It's like, it's the perception of what other people think. Oh, he's doing well. Look at him. He has a new BMW. But what you don't know is he has no money. Absolutely. Every week, all of that goes out and goes straight into expenses. And he yeah. drives a nice car and he lives in a nice house. But if something happens tomorrow, tragic, he can't pay for it. Or there's, she can't pay for there's it. There's some really interesting statistics on uh, American millionaires. Um you know, when you think of a millionaire, like what is what the image in your head is? This guy's guy or girl is going to be wearing a nice set of clothes, maybe a nice watch, nice bracelet, driving a maybe a Mercedes Benz, you know, maybe a, even nicer than that, a Ferrari or something like that, right? That's like what you think of when you think of like a millionaire. The average millionaire in the United States has never spent more than $35,000 on a car. They have never spent more than $500 on a suit, and they have never spent more than $300 on a watch. Now, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. Expense mitigation. Like, a person who has an extreme amount of wealth has probably not lucked into it. They've probably consistently thought about things that help them become wealthy. And mm. the people who become significantly wealthy are living the lifestyle of someone that's making about half as much or they are living the lifestyle of a person who is you know half of what they are essentially yeah. whereas you know your big shot lawyer who's driving that ferrari you know things like that his net worth is probably not what it should be and they have yeah. calculations based on how much you make per year what your net worth should be more often than not the people who are doing that driving those fancy cars are like a quarter of where their net worth should be yeah why no they don't have any expense mitigation they're just looking at one aspect of the, the financial continuum. And that's why I think people running their finances more like a business would make so much of an impact. Because as a business, you know, you're, you're working to build the top line, which would be your revenue, but you're also working to cut the middle stuff, which is your expenses. You right. know, the goal of a business is to be more profitable with smaller or the same amount of expenses. Do you think people should focus more on income or expenses? 
I think that it's easier to focus on your expenses. I can stop spending today. I can't necessarily get a job that pays me more today. I could go put a resume together. I could, uh, you know, start sending my resume out. I could start talking to my boss about a raise, things like that. Like, yes, you do need to focus on growing your income. Constantly need to think about that and constantly need to be on the lookout for bigger and better opportunities when they're on the horizon. But you more often than not don't have 100% control over that. Like you are at the mercy of some other people. You know, me as a business owner, like I know my income will grow, but I need my lifestyle to stay the same or even, you know, get smaller. And I think me as a business owner, I have more of a sense of expenses than people do because I've worked so hard to build this company that if I get a $6,000 legal bill, I'm going, whoa, what the heck, man? Now, yes, that, that legal bill could be a, a significantly smaller percentage of the revenue that's coming in and out of my company, but I feel that stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I get a cable bill that's 75 bucks, I'm like, all right, how can I lower this? And they have shown that entrepreneurs are more price savvy than any other group out there. And the typical American millionaire, what do you think his job is? Business owner or self-employed. Right, right. And why is that? Is that because he's making so much more money? Well, statistically, no. I mean, statistically, yes, you could have a large income or a higher than average income as a business owner. But a business owner who earns 120000 and a doctor who earns 120000 their net worth will not be the same. The business owner's income will be, or excuse me, his net worth will be almost double that of the doctor. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's thinking about money every single day. He understands how to uh, mitigate his expenses and understands the third part of the equation, which would be accumulation of your capital and appreciation of your capital. So, right, we talked about the bank account. If the bank account just sits there, it's losing money every single year. Mm-hmm. So smart people and the financially well-off will take their capital and make it grow. They will make it turn into a larger amount without them having to go and hustle it out there. So that's why I personally like real estate because I know I can buy a house with a you know $20,000 down payment, put some tenants in there, and then every month I'm making $300 off of the rent from those tenants. I'm covering all my expenses, and then I am still going to have uh, the capital appreciation. Because that house, I paid 20000 for it. I make $200 a month. I do that for 10 years. I pay the mortgage off with my excess funds. I sell the house. I just turn 20000 into 150000 Right. That's how people become wealthy, is they take their assets and they make them grow. The people who don't have a lot of money and the people who are living paycheck to paycheck They'll never have that accumulation of capital. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing, in my opinion, is taxes. You have to watch how the taxes flow through your company. <laughs> that's another thing that I really love about yeah. real estate. To me, real estate is the triple threat because you're going to have capital appreciation. The value of your money is going to go up. The value of the property is going to go up. You get income, so you get paid that little, that little dividend every month from your renters. And then I get uh, a tax write-off and the deduction of my mortgage interest, and I get the tax write-off of the depreciation of the asset. So that's three things right there of my four aspects. Yeah, it's not going to lower my expenses, but it's making me money. Yeah. So those are the things that I think about. I think it's just those four simple things. How can I make more money? How can I lower my expenses? How can I make my money grow? How can I lower my taxes? So I love that. I rem- So... Um when I was 23 years old, I think it was 23, and one of the best things that I ever did um, was I got into network marketing when I was 20 years mm-hmm. old. So I owned a small, small business, 1080 income. And so I learned about taxes very, very quickly. I remember oh. when the first, the first time I did my taxes, and I think I was 20 or 21 years old. I think, mm-hmm. I think it was 21 when I did, first did my taxes. And I had this 1080 income, and I was like, oh my gosh, this just opened me up to like all of these tax breaks. And I got a huge tax return. Like, a, not huge, but a decent tax return. Yeah. And the year I turned 23, or I think it was 23, uh, I made $60,000 that year before taxes. And at the end of April to April, I had $25,000 in my bank. I had zero at the beginning, and I saved $25,000. Big year. Good. Like, compared, okay, so if I made 60, and, you know, after taxes at maybe 45, 
I saved 25 of that 40 of that 45. Well, the first thing I did was I didn't buy new shoes. Right. I like I don't buy new things. Like I just don't. And you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy new things. I'm not saying I don't think not spent for me, I don't think not spending is the solution always. I think sometimes you just need to make freaking more money, mm-hmm. you know? If you're making $20,000 a year, yeah, you absolutely. probably need to find something to make 80, 100, like and you have that potential. But um like I but I didn't buy new shoes. I didn't like I didn't buy the newest watch. I've never bought a watch. Like my mom's bought me a watch yeah. for my birthday. Yeah, right. But like I've never gone to like cuz she wants to. But like I've never bought a watch. Like I never buy new clothes. I never buy anything new. I like I just wear what I've always worn and I just that, that's the way that I live my life. And so I didn't it was the most money I ever made, which is good. But I didn't I, I didn't buy new things. And like I figured out taxes and and how to lower my taxable income. Yeah, there you go. You're, and it you're, is so amazing how many people don't look at this and they don't they get no. to they get to April and they're like, Oh crap, like I either owe the government money or I um you know, I thought I was gonna get a bigger return. Or, or That's I'm been like big this Do you year. understand that you could have made an extra three or four thousand dollars if you learn how to lower your taxable income? Because your taxable income is sixty thousand, right? If you get the standard deduction, what's that, twelve thousand? Takes you down to forty eight thousand. How can you go from forty eight to forty? There's there's a ton of ways. Yeah. And then what happens is the government has to give you back the percentage of that eight. Right. One of the simplest things you can do to lower your tax burden is just invest because you can you can deduct investment income. So think about that. Like, I made more money because I invested my money, and that investment is going to grow. Now you're going to get taxed, seed or sow tax methodology, meaning you're either going to get taxed when it's a seed and you start it, or when you sow it at the end. But you know, right now you're taking the double double bonus on that thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's not necessarily right for every single person to do it now as opposed to later. There's various discussions on, you know, taking your tax uh, deduction now versus, you know, paying no taxes when you pull it out. Um, but, that, you know, it's just a huge thing. And that has been big this year because of the changes in tax legislation. One of the big ones is that employees can't write off mileage anymore. So employees, especially traveling salespeople who were driving 10, 15,000 miles and taking 58 cents on the mile, you know, that's a big deduction off of your top-line income. They don't get that anymore. And what's the government say about that? Well, just ask your employer for reimbursement. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, good luck, you know, but maybe you can get it. But so then people are getting to tax time, and they're saying, well, what do you mean I have to pay $5,000? I'm expecting a refund. But most people just But they didn't simply, pay attention. They simply do not understand. Most people don't know what comes out of their paycheck. Like, they see taxes, but, like, most people couldn't break down actually what was – taken out like uh, almost no one i've asked knows what's coming out like what's old age survivors and disability insurance people go what (laughs) and i'm like that's your social security like but but people never see that so when i see the payroll registrars for my company i'm like looking i'm like oh gosh this guy had to pay you know fourteen hundred dollars this period in old age survivors and disability income you talk about social security my personal finance professor in college he gave us the charts and showed us what that same amount of money would make if you invested it in the market versus paid it into Social Security. And once you see that, you're like, oh, man, I'm getting ripped off. Ripped off. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And Social Security was never designed to be what it is right now because when it was started, most people were not living that far. Old age survivors is the first three letters of this and disability insurance. Why? Because 65 used to be an old age. You know, most people were living to like you know, a couple years after 60, maybe 70. So the government was paying it for four or five, six years, right? But now people are living well into their late 70s and 80s, and they're getting it for 10, 15, 20, 30 years sometimes. The government did not plan for that, and the people from generations prior did not pay in enough for that. So what's going to happen when we get there? There's probably not going to be Social Security. Maybe there will be, maybe I'm wrong, but to anyone listening, I would say, like, assume zero Social Security coming in. Yeah, that would be the assumption. Assume there will be no one there to help you. Yeah, and here's the thing. Don't complain about the tax situation, because here's the thing. Like you can't do anything about it. No, right. Just quit complaining about it. Just find solutions. Correct. Like 
don't complain about paying a lot of money to the government. Like, I did that for a while. And I'm like, you know what this is getting me? Freaking nothing. It's not getting me my money back. It's not. So I got to find ways to pay to pay less. Mm-hmm. Right? Legal ways we should. Of course. Should say. Yeah. And, and, and all that takes is learning. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing is that the, the government is banking on you not paying attention. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. Because here's the thing. The majority of people don't pay attention. Correct. They're not paying attention. And so they know that. Right. You know, and, and so, but if you pay attention, there's ways to figure out how to lower your taxable income. So maybe you pay, I mean, the next, if you pay less than $5,000, if you make $100,000 and you pay less than, you pay $5,000 less in taxes, um, that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, that's a vacation. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, $5,000 over 10 years is 50 grand. You, you buy a house with that, that can turn into 150,000. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. Like, that's a decent amount of money that you can take. So, and all it takes is to pay attention. So don't complain about the problem. Find a solution. It's like what I said, you know, you work 40 hours a week. Why not take just one hour, one hour, and do a little bit of homework? Like, come on, it's 2019. You can do a Google and find out a little bit of information that might be helpful for you. You could, right. you could potentially save yourself thousands of dollars, and if invested, you know, over 30 years, that might double four or five times over. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? That might be your retirement fund because you took one hour and you turned it into tens and maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars and that's what i'm talking about is that most people don't take the time to go and just find out what they don't know why is it they're afraid is it that they're challenged or is it that they're worried that they're going to be so far behind yeah um i I don't know why people are paralyzed from doing those things and smart people too like i said you know the doctor and the business owner same income the business owner is going to be worth double why because he knows what the doctor doesn't and he puts it into action. Also, more often than not, business owners, they don't need to keep up that lifestyle that a doctor would have to keep up or a lawyer would have to keep up. So those same individuals, that, that doctor is going to spend much more on his home, thus much more on his property taxes. He's much more likely to send his children to private schools. He's much more likely to drive a foreign automobile, much more likely to spend a higher percentage of his income on shirts, shoes, you know, clothing, you know, and why? Because that business owner who owns the plumbing company, he didn't care what he looks like, you know. His neighbors don't expect him to be driving the Rolls mm. Royce or yeah. the Bentley or the Lamborghini, you know. And it's like, oh, that's Joe. What does he do? I don't know. He's like a plumber or something like that. It's like, well, you don't know that. But he's killing it. Yeah, Joe's making $120,000 every year, and he's paying less than you in taxes, and he's putting away $20,000 a year, and that's growing at a rate of 7 or 8%. You know, so it's like those are the little things that add up so significantly yeah. when they're done right. And I would have to imagine you have a large listener base of young people. Like, that's great because when you're young, you have the best opportunity to take these things and put them into action. You're really not behind. Like, no. when you're young, yeah. when you get out of college, there's like, you're not behind. Like, you are, you're starting completely fresh. You know, like, maybe you have a little bit of money. Maybe you have zero bucks. I don't know. But, like, you know, you're probably single. You know, I mean, I'm not stupid. Like, when I made 60000 and saved, tw- saved twenty five, I was single. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like I had kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so I understand that. That, you know, there's people out there that make sixty that they can't save that because they have family. Uh-huh. I get that. But, like, when you're a young person, like, that's why I'm so grateful that I started that I got into network marketing and I had a 1080 income and I go, oh my gosh. I was like, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like all these things that I learned. And that's why I was like, I want to be a business owner. Like I want to own a business because, you know, even if I own a business while being an employee, like I need to have a small business, yeah. even if I'm an employee. Like whether it's you freaking sell soap or whether it's freaking whatever it is, get a small business. That's my my. One thing that I believe is if you're an employee, get a small business because you open yourself up to tax breaks that you don't exist when you're a W-2 employee. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to like make a million bucks in this business, like make $10,000 a year in this business. I don't know. Make 20. 
buy make your, five. Buy yourself a new computer. That's a business expense. You exactly. Know? Like, and and it, so, well, this has been awesome. Um, I don't know how long we have been on here, but um, dude, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. Like, no, it's it's been fun, and uh, you gave a shameless plug, so I guess I'll do the same at this point in time. Absolutely. Uh, everyone can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Verlin Johnson. I'll be honest in telling you I don't post a lot, but there'll probably be some content coming out. As I get closer and closer to uh, putting some of my book material out, um, that will be a really thorough resource for allocation percentages and things like that. So if you're listening and you're like, wow, I like that, but I kind of need to hear them break it down, um, I will physically show individuals how to do this. I'm turning my mom onto this. I'm, like, turning my family members onto this, you know, because... You found something, and you found something that works. Yeah. And you want to help other people. Yeah, and I think it works with human psychology where you're not like, oh, I have to follow this budget and I'm counting calories now. I'm counting pennies. Like, no, like before any money comes into your account, it's already like earmarked. You know, percentages are going to where they need to go. Mm -hmm. So you won't have any guilt associated with buying something. And you know for a fact you're saving up with the fun money account. There's no question, ah, can I afford this vacation? Uh, yes or no? How much money you got in your fund of money account? You know, right? And that's it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, man. And if if nobody else took anything from this, I did. Yeah. And I'll I learned, break it down with you, man. And um, you know, it's you know, I'm gonna take some things that you know you've you've um, talked about today and apply it in my in my business, especially the the multiple accounts, which I kind of already do, mm-hmm. but I need to make it more organized. Um, and so I appreciate that. And I know that everybody who listened took something away from this because, you know, why work 40 years, 50 years of your life and be broke? Yeah. I mean, why do that? Why work hard as a grocery, as a, not a grocery, as a, a gro- uh, my gosh, a garbage per, like, what is it? Garbage uh, man. Garbage man. And like, be or broke. woman. Don't want to be why? gender impartial here. Right. Right. Um, why work hard as a nurse? your entire life and be left broke. Why, For sure. you know, let's, let's actually attack this and let's attack it now. So, um, make sure you follow him, Alex Xander V Johnson. It's Verlin Johnson. It's at Verlin Johnson on Twitter and Instagram. Follow him. Um, he's going to be putting out some content eventually here with a book and maybe some other stuff, um, that you can learn and apply in your life. This is the opportunity today podcast. What? I want to say one more thing. Yes, go ahead. Um, you know, we're in Buckeye country, so, a famous quote from one of our ex-coaches, Woody Hayes. He said, anything easy ain't worth a damn. And that's really what this is. Like, it won't necessarily be easy, but my thing is, simple, not easy. It will be simple. It'll be straightforward. Here are the things you need to do. We can lay them out for you. It won't necessarily be easy. So don't get hung up on, oh, wow, I have to start a couple more bank accounts. Uh, Yeah, you do. Sorry. Do you want to do this the right way or not? And that's something that I think about myself whenever I'm getting into something. It's not necessarily easy, but simple, straightforward. Last question for you. Um, what do, what's one thing that you do to maximize your day? That's a good question. Um, one thing that I was kind of talking about you, talking about with you previous to this is uh, I do 40-minute work blocks. So I put my headphones on in my office, start a timer on my computer. I actually do a lot of things based on time. So, like, during work, I'll do 40-minute work blocks you know, five minute or so breaks, sometimes smaller, sometimes longer. Um, and then I just won't get up from my computer for 40 minutes. I do the same exact thing when I play piano and I'm learning piano. I do the same exact thing when I'm studying uh, Spanish. I'll set 30 minutes and I will just sit there, work or play piano for 30 minutes. When I'm hmm. at work, I don't know why I do a 40 minute work block at work, um, but it just seems like it fits uh, and I just won't get up. So that helps me focus and stay on track with what I'm doing so I know no matter what hey I'm getting half an hour of piano playing in every day getting a half an hour of Spanish in every single day Uh, so it's not like well I studied a little bit today it's like no I I know I studied a half an hour because the timer went off and that's when I'm done it's not no I got to get up and use the restroom it's like no you use the restroom in your breaks you go you sit down if someone tries to distract me I tell them like hey like I'm in the middle of something yeah And and that's what I do and that's how I know that I will get into a, a zone of focus and be there for a period of time, I which that. I think you talk about in your book, distractions. Uh-huh. They're huge. Extreme they're, focus. They're, they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You got you to gotta kind of dig into that every once in a while. 
Yep. And don't take six hours when it could take you an hour to do because you're distracted. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So um, thank you for tuning into the podcast, episode number 25 with Alexander V. Johnson. And it was fun talking to you um, today. Um, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And also, um, I don't charge for this podcast. This is obviously free. Um, the only thing I advertise is my book um, and my apparel sometimes. Um, so what I would ask is just share this with a friend. Share this with somebody uh, that you know that you think could benefit from this podcast. Remember that yesterday is gone, tomorrow doesn't exist, and today is all you have. Let's maximize today. Love you and happy opportunity today.